Toby, mm-hmm. <clears throat> what do you call a bee that can't make up his mind? I don't know. A maybe. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, that doesn't. That seems like something that uh, might have been written by. Uh, I'm not going to finish by that. A bee. By a bee. By a bee. <laughs> These write jokes too, you know. <laughs> oh well. Oh, what a glorious introduction to the latest episode of Battery Mates. Welcome to another episode of Battery Mates um, on this side of the Atlantic. Uh, This is Toby and Ruby, who's here as well. And this is Matthew, coming into your ears from England. England! What a... And people who can't, who aren't watching this episode, um, who are just uh, subscribed to the audio version... Um, which is natural because there is no visual video version yet. Well, well, you should know that Matthew is wearing um, a pretty spiffy Washington Senators kit um, that I think is I've never seen before, and I I will say like that's that's handsome. It's very handsome. I, I appreciate your your uh, use of the word spiffy there. <laughs> <laughs> no props for the use of the word kit, though. I thought that was a. <laughs> um, but so this is a really special episode of of Battery Mates. We are going back to Battery Mates at the movies to review uh, the movie Field of Dreams, uh, the the classic baseball film with Kate Stamen London. Um, and the film doesn't have Kate Stamen London. A segment of our show has Kate Stamen London. Um, at least I don't think she's in the movie we'll find out no Um, she's not uh before we get to that uh we'll go into some around the horn but before we even get into that how is it going how how you know it looks like our both of our teams um have found ourselves in a middling place right now uh you guys are on the upswing and we're on the downswing say more we we are on the up we are in the upswing i I feel a lot better today than i would have felt if we'd recorded this uh even a few days ago Mm. but um the the nationals have won six of their last uh 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 seven seven of their last eight wow and we are still only two games above 500 that's (laughs) that's the hole we had dug ourselves into so i feel a lot better than i did uh a week ago um but uh you know the the nl east is is jumped up uh and everyone on the backside and is uh incredibly competitive Mm -hmm. the Mets have been doing great although your prediction that they would do great as long as they stayed healthy I think is about to come to fruition (laughs) because they are not healthy uh as of as of this week they've lost Um, six in a row yeah and the and the and the Braves are just out of nowhere and the and the Phillies are are, are pretty good um uh too as we uh, as we thought, so this is a, this is a really really good division. I won't need. I don't obviously don't need to mention the Marlins. <laughs> they have managed to craw- crawl themselves back over three hundred. So I mean, they're doing well by their standards, I guess. Yeah, they're, they've won double digit baseball games, uh, which is more than you can say for the, <laughs> the Cincinnati Reds or the Baltimore <laughs> Orioles or the Chicago White Sox. So <laughs> that's incredible. There are four teams in baseball that do not have ten wins yet. Oh my goodness. Um, 
it, it, it will be it, sorry to cut across. It will be really interesting to see uh, the number of teams that are in a very, very, very bad place. Suggest that we might be on for a record-breaking number of teams above 100 wins at the end of the season. That's yeah. the that's the other part of this equation. Well, and and you know the AL East is stacked right now. It looks like you know any any one uh, the Toronto Yankees or Boston would be in uh, first place in several divisions. Um, you know the Cubs are still in fourth place. The Nationals are still in fourth place. That's amazing. Well, that won't that won't last very long. Um, and then you know, Arizona, which you know were a good team last year, but are playing out of their minds right now. The Dodgers are in fourth place, four games under five hundred. Um, but yeah, Cleveland, Cleveland had a really good April or a decent April. Um, and then it's just had a rough, a rough week and a half. Uh, we ran into the buzzsaw that is the 2018 world series champion, New York Yankees. Um, as I like to refer to the Yankees East. Um, and you know, that was not fun. Uh, we lost three games that we should have won all three of them. We beat their bullpen, I think all three games. Um, and then they beat ours. Uh, so, uh, it's rough. Rough having a, a a weak bullpen right now, and and half of that is injury, and half of that is um, just trial and error on some of these. You know how that is. The bullpen composition can be trying guys out, and some of them really aren't good, is what it turns out. <laughs> it turns out. Um, so the good thing is it's May whatever. It's early in May. Um, I've lost track of all time, so I don't know what day it actually is. But uh, yeah, I think that. Uh, it's, all things considered, we're still in first place, so I, I think uh, that's that's all I can ask for at this point. Um, but should we go? Should we go I around mean, the horn? It, Wait, no, yeah, ahead. let's go around the horn. Okay, yeah. you got. Okay, you can cover whatever you're going to say and, and around the horn. I'll, I'll go first with around the horn, just because I have the ball. Um, my first, my first, uh, uh, I guess horn um, is that I should have named my daughter Kluber, or we should. My wife and I should have named our daughter <laughs> Kluber um, instead of Ruber, which is the long version name of Ruby. Um, but uh, Corey, Corey Kluber is a perfect 5-0. and So Ruby was born on Corey Kluber Day, which is the day that Corey Kluber starts. Um, it happens every one every five baseball games. And um, since she was born, Corey Kluber, uh, including her birthday, is a perfect 5-0 and in five starts with a 2.41 ERA. Uh, he's averaging 1.4 walks per nine and not, uh, just about nine strikeouts per nine innings. Um, and that's pretty damn good. You know, he's not even the best pitcher in the American League right now, uh, but he's well on his way to uh, repeating his uh, Cy Young winning uh, 2017 performance, um, and he didn't even start last season good. So he's been phenomenal this season, and, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not going to say that Ruby is um, uh, responsible for that, but I don't have any evidence to the contrary. So... Uh, that's my first. That's my first horn, and I'm over the moon about it because I've got him in my fantasy team mm, yes. alongside uh, 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 Mike Cleve, Clevelander, Cleve, Cleve, <laughs> Cleving, uh, Clevinger, Clevinger. Yeah. Uh, so Cleveland pitching and Cody Allen. So Cleveland pitching right now is uh, uh, just just fantastic, as you know, because I text you about six times an evening. Uh, when Cleveland are playing during the day, my time, because a lot of games happen overnight uh, for me. Um, uh, Cleveland's pitching has been very, very good for me. I know it's been a, a not a great start to the season, but it's been doing wonders for my, my fantasy team. I appreciate it. 
Well, the two, the Clevenger and Corey Kluber have been phenomenal. Cody Allen's had a rough couple days. That's all I'll say. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, he came out of he came out of yesterday's game. His his ERA for the game yesterday was forty point five. <laughs> Uh, just for the game, I know you get you get funny numbers with uh, mm. with with um, with bullpen uh, bullpen <laughs> stats. But um, my, my talking of Cleveland pitching, hmm. my first one is um, I, I think I might be falling for Trevor Bauer. Uh, over, over, over <laughs> I know I know you you're back on the Bauer bandwagon, but um, I, I I was just jogging alongside for a, for a little while, but I, I think I'm back on board now. This week, I'm sure a lot of people have been following it. Trevor Bauer has uh, got himself into hot water again for for really just speaking his mind, um, telling it how it is. I love this just as a quick aside. I love this. I love that that sort of sense of um, the, the the get out of jail free card of saying dumb or offensive or wrong stuff by saying I'm just I just say what I think. <laughs> that doesn't. So you're still an asshole. <laughs> anyway, Trevor Bauer telling it straight. Um, basically, I, he's denying it now, but basically accused the Houston Astros of uh, breaking the rules uh, with their pitches. Uh, the accusation yeah. being that Garrett Cole is using foreign substances to get a better grip on the ball to increase his spin rate, um, uh, um, and his spin rate is up dramatically this year. Uh, Bauer put out a statement after being challenged over this denying that he was going after Garrett Cole, denying he was going after Houston, but also um, uh, giving a real good breakdown of all of the numbers uh, and, 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 you know, and demonstrate that, that what he was saying was, 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 was accurate. And there was a really interesting moment. You, you might be able to tell this story better than I do, but there was a really interesting moment where after he put out his statement, he um, uh, uh, pitched that evening and his, his, uh, spin rate was dramatically up and a lot of people are, are saying he you know didn't confirm or deny but a lot of people are saying unusually for him he did use foreign substances to try and prove his point without actually saying anything um about that which I, if that is what happened i thought that was a really really cool um thing for him to do yeah um uh, yeah go ahead well as the Tre- trevor is yeah, so he got a lot of attention since we brought him up last episode. You know, we're we're fawning over our ex here. Um, ESPN did a a big piece on him speaking his mind and that being a good thing, you know. And then Deadspin, of course, where I think they overplayed their hand as well, where they said ESPN fawns over the intelligence of Trevor Bauer, who is a big dumb asshole. Um, I don't take anything. I, I don't take. I think they're they're right to criticize Trevor Bauer and to call him out for being an asshole. I don't think he's that dumb, though. I think he's, you know, he's dumb in the way that a lot of the Trumpites are dumb. But he's, he's like, actually, you know, he, he's a little too clever, and I don't like that. But um, too clever for his own good as well sometimes by slicing his finger open with playing with drones during the playoffs. But he, um, what he did, and I, you know, I think he did definitely accuse the Astros of, of uh, using uh, sticky substances to, to get a better grip on the ball and get more spin on the ball uh and he's he's suggesting that there's there's they've done a lot of research on this in his one of the um uh the the the, the, i guess the the facilities that he works out in driveline baseball um they've done some research on this and found that it does increase the spin rate on the ball um and a a handful of houston players have an increased spin rate namely uh garrett cole i think it's the big one um who's having a phenomenal start to the season 
and you know he's he's backed off of that a little bit and said mostly like well look this is something that i so many pitchers do he said 69 percent over 69 percent by the way is what he said um which uh <laughs> just gotta give him credit for, for getting that one in um he said over 69 percent of pitchers uh use uh some sticky stuff on their balls and you know i, I he says that that's that's normal um and he says the, the weird thing is that baseball major league baseball it's still technically against the rules and if baseball should do is is uh you know figure out what the rule should be let pitchers who are more already doing it do the do it with within reason you know put something on the back of the mound that allows pitchers to get some sticky on their hands and you know whatever it is and you know make it make it kind of uh uh legitimate instead of making the pitchers break the rules and you're right he like he nobody's confirmed this but it does appear that he has uh and this was before actually this is a, a week before um, this controversy happened. It looks like in one, his first inning of his outing on April thirtieth. Uh, it looks like he, his spin rates were like through the roof, and it's just like wow, like to be willing to, to prove a point to like do something in a game to affect your, to affect the way you pitch is uh, just to prove your point is so, Trevor Bauer. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. ugh, what what a what a guy. What a guy. <laughs> what a guy. What a guy. <laughs> All right. So for my next horn here, um, uh, I think <laughs> I, I don't really want to I, – I'm cheating by picking two two things. But, um, I, you know, I want to just quickly touch on two stories I saw over the last week that I thought were worth uh, Battery Mates Nation's attention. Um, the first was a Chicago blo- blogger described um, some pretty overt racism that happened in his 12-year-old son's Little League game. Um, when his, his son plays on a um, uh, West Lawn, it's a Southwest uh, neighborhood, um, and p- went to play a game in a pretty nice, uh, mostly white neighborhood. And, you know, they got called Taco Boys. And um, it's just a whole bunch of, you know, and it played out in a lot of different ways, um, not not all of which were as direct as, as uh, actually, you know, ad hominem racist attacks. But, um it, it was it was um it, it's pretty eye opening how you know prevalent that is in in you know and how baseball seems to um still be at the center a, c- a central character in all of uh, the american controversial or, or americans uh the american story i guess and, and the controversy um pretty prescient the uh, story these days and the other one um as as i'm i'm cheating is that some this was just posted i think today uh, New York Times is a story uh, which I this is the first I'd heard heard of it. Um, there's a pretty a pitching phenomenon uh, out in at, at Oregon State University who was convicted of molesting a six year old when he was 16, um, and he is uh, he he was uh, it, 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 the story came to light last year when he violated um, some terms of his um, uh, his probation or whatever and so like the reporters got wind of it and he actually stepped away from baseball for the remainder of the season and actually thought he was going to get drafted he, you know he, he had like a 0.64 era last year um and he didn't get drafted even though he was expected to be um and so i you know it's it's one of those things it's a story about a lot of things what what is is um you know he denies anything happened and of course there's a victim who doesn't who is being uh um 
is not being named for her privacy, but uh, who definitely says something happened. And he, uh, the, the legal system here, had it seems to be finished with it. Uh, and now we get to decide how um, the rest of society lets whether this this kid can uh, kind of rejoin society and and potentially be a, a superstar right. in sports. Um, and that that is that's a really heavy uh, issue. And so uh, I'm just gonna. Throw that out there and let you read it and just dis- <laughs> discuss it amongst yourselves. Um, but maybe we can discuss it at a, a later time. I don't know. It's, it's nuts that I uh, um, when I was reading it today. I just what a what a story. Anyway, it, it's a it's a really crazy story, and uh, you know it goes way beyond baseball. Um, it could apply in so many different circumstances, and it's a it's a really really complicated one. So definitely one for a three up three down rather than around the horn. That's right. <laughs> Which, by the way, I have not put the timer on this one at all. <laughs> no, we 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 blasted right through the timing. Um, this is going to be a really long episode. <laughs> uh, if you're still listening, uh, uh, please hang around for Kate Stebbins London's uh, Field of Dreams review. is is really really good and much more interesting than <laughs> than us. Uh, that's the great thing about podcast apps. The click ahead 15 seconds uh, <laughs> uh, tool is your friend. Um, my fourth uh, one to finish up here is um, I want to talk about Bryce Harper real quick. I, I know that he gets talked about uh, more than I think even I uh, think is justified. And that's going to be even worse this year. Um, but uh, he's playing really, really well. And it's really, really fun um, to watch. He is currently um, second in the um, home run uh, leaderboard uh, joined second with Joey Gallo and, and Mike Trout, um, one uh, home run behind Mookie Betts. Um, but I've 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 had this running joke for a, a long time with um, a friend of ours and a friend of the podcast, um, Steve Coopin, that that uh, the Bryce Harper is uh, a selfish uh, <laughs> scorer of home runs. It, it, it came from like some moron was like yeah bryce harper's such a douche he only ever hits solo home runs so the joke between um Cooper and i is always when um whenever he hits a, a solo home run is to is to text each other with abuse of, of, of bryce harper but this year i've been actually tracking it closely mm. um a little plug for my nationals twitter feed at gmt nets uh, which i'm i'm doing this year in an attempt to stop uh, losing so many followers on my on my <laughs> my personal uh, account, especially now I'm back in the UK. Um, I've been tracking it uh, home run by home run, and he's he's hit twelve home runs so far, and of those twelve, eight of those have been solo home runs. <laughs> he he has he has scored eighteen runs with his homers, uh, but twelve of those have been himself scoring a run. <laughs> so I, I I am starting to wonder whether this sort of sort of he is a solo he is a, a selfish solo home run scorer might actually be a, a real thing. So I'm actually tracking it with a uh, a selfish index. Uh, Bryce Harper's selfish index uh, currently eight out of twelve. Well, so I, my question is, where does he bat in the lineup? Is he bat second or third? He's been batting. Um, he usually bats third. But uh, for the last week, he's um, he's been batting uh, leadoff, which ah. is like a Dave Martinez, crazy Joe Madden approach. Uh, our pitcher is batting uh, eighth right mm. now. Wilmer Defoe is is batting ninth, and then Bryce Harper's leading off. And as a result, uh, 
is one of the things that has it looks like has really made our our bats uh, light up. Um, and Bryce has hit three home runs in the in 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 the period since he's started leading off. And before that, he went for like a whole two week uh, drought. Well, it sounds like you guys need to start getting on base more before he gets to the plate. That's <laughs> yes. what it sounds like. Um, yes. So before we get to Kate, should we have a quick word from our sponsors? Let's do it. This episode of Battery Mates is brought to you by Wubbanub, a pacifier that doubles as a stuffed animal small enough for even the littlest among us to hold on to. It's a kind of invention that will restore your faith in humanity. Until I tell you about their latest product, and this is no joke, coming soon, the Wubbanub New York Yankees Bear. Not a series of Major League Baseball team Wubbanubs, mind you, this limited edition nub it's just in time for little Susie and Johnny to hop on the soul-sucking bandwagon for the 2018 World Series Championship, Yankees East. Sign up at wubbinub.com slash nyy-bear-alerts to find out when they'll be available so you can make sure your little ones grow up with an unparalleled sense of sports entitlement. That's Wubbinub, a Mary Meyer Corporation. Well, thank you. Thanks, um, thanks Wubbinub and the entire Mary Meyer Corporation. It was a... The whole corporation. Um, they were very good to us this week, and I, I love the fact that they <clears throat> their research uh, led them to us. Uh, right. They know that uh, we are we are now one of the premier uh, politics and baseballs uh, 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 parenthood uh, <laughs> podcasts. Um, so that that was cool. Uh, I um I I also think it's worth noting that uh, we will literally take money from even pro Yankees yeah. yeah that's how uh amoral we are when it comes to uh anything to do with sponsorship if you know it, as long as you get their 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 $20 and they'll line up those cars will line up on the highway to come uh <laughs> hang out at batteries is that a good t- transition to to vote, go get Kate? phenomenal <laughs> transition into battery mates of the movies let's all go to the lobby Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. Okay, it's been a while, but welcome to another segment of Battery Mates at the Movies. We are joined by our movie critic, Kate Samen London. Hello, Kate. How are you? Hi, guys. I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm well. Toby's on mute. I'm and not. Um, not right now. I will be, I'm sure. <laughs> not right now. <laughs> okay. Already a broken promise from Toby. <laughs> Toby is going to be on mute uh, uh, a bunch during this because he literally has a babe in his arms. <laughs> babe Ruby is joining us for uh, this segment. Um and which is which is apt because we are going to talk about Field of Dreams, which is a, a a baseball movie that's really much more about fatherhood than than baseball, in my humble opinion. But Kate, <laughs> you you should give us you should give us and uh, listeners a, a rundown, and then we'll get into it. Um, great. So for those who haven't seen Field of Dreams, first of all, I think we're going to spoil everything that happens in it. So you might want to <laughs> give it a watch before you listen to this segment. Um, so Field of Dreams is based on the book Shoeless Joe by W.P. Kinsella. Um, and the main character uh, in the film is named Ray Kinsella and his dad is John Kinsella. So read into all of that what you will. Uh, the <laughs> film was made in 1989. So sort of at the height of, uh, you know, 
obviously George Bush had just taken over as president after eight years of Reagan. It was the 80s. It was two years after Wall Street. Greed is good. And the movie is kind of this aggressive reaction against, um, you know, sort of baby boomers who grew up in the 60s and free love and free speech uh, sort of reacting to um, 80s capitalism and greed in the form of a beautiful magical realism movie about baseball, about um, Kevin Costner playing Ray Kinsella, a character who owns a farm in Iowa, who hears a voice that says, if you build it, he will come, um, which means uh, if he builds a baseball field in his cornfields, um, then Shoeless Joe Jackson, who was one of the eight White Sox who was suspended from baseball for supposedly throwing the World Series. Is that right? Um, yes. Uh, that they would come and get to play baseball again. So it's a movie about, you know, Reaganism and baseball ghosts and dad stuff. That's, that's my rundown. So I, I watched this. That's a great rundown. I, I watched this for the first time literally this morning. Um, so really, really good prep on my part. Um, and the, the first thing I want to talk about is uh, my whole life. This is one of those films that I've known about forever because of the um uh, the kind of the cultural anchor that is if you build it they will come mm-hmm. and it turns out that's not even the phrase it's not the phrase yep i just and fun fact do you know who plays the voice in the movie no no it's ed harris no <laughs> yeah so last night i was like oh i gotta watch field of dreams but i really want to watch westworld and then i was watching field of dreams and i was like but i still got a little bit of westworld <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that how that came to pass. That it, my my impressions of the movie from the things I've heard and the you know the phrases it, that get used in in popular culture and you know all of the things that like this is a movie that is part of popular culture whether you've seen it or not. The I thought this was a movie about um, investment in a baseball park and the economics of trying to make that work and and is there's nothing is literally it's not until like the closing credit it's that the cars start coming <laughs> to 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 attend this baseball field i i was kind of waiting the whole way through the film for them to be like okay we now need to start selling tickets and it never came no and um fun fact those cars are a metaphor for us the audience uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing is like i don't you know um I, it is still a movie about uh, the economics of um, uh, baseball and corn farming and all that. Uh, you know, is it twenty dollars a pop? That they're twenty-two dollars an 20, acre. An eight? No, that's an acre. Which I think it's twenty-two hundred dollars an acre. Um, is what he said, wasn't it? Which conflicts some of the information I found on iowacorn.org, but we can we can get into that. <laughs> no, no, let's go in right into that right now. But I, the we tickets were, were $20 a person. I have the whole, I have the monologue here because it's such a good monologue. Wait, no, go for it. You know more about corn oh. farming in Iowa than I, I do. Okay, so so Matthew and Toby knows know this from the brief conversation we had before we started recording. But so I I love and I'm totally willing to buy the movie's premise that, you know, Ray builds this baseball field and then the ghosts of Shoeless Joe Jackson and sort of a motley crew of other former ballplayers come and they get to play at this baseball field. Like I'm totally bought in on that. What I am not bought in on is the conflict in the movie, which is that this baseball field is cutting into valuable corn acreage 
on the Kinsella family farm so much so that they are not going to be able to pay their mortgage and are going to lose their farm. <laughs> now, this seemed fishy to me. So I thought, how many acres is a baseball field? Three. That's how many acres of baseball <laughs> field. It's three acres. And according to our pals at um, iowacorn.org, um, hold on, I want to find, I want to get the, I want to get my facts right here. Um, and in 2013, farmers made an average of $900 on an acre of corn, factoring in about $600 of costs. That's $300 of profits. So my feeling is if for three acres, <laughs> for $900 a year in profits, Ray is in a position to lose his farm. He does not deserve to own that farm. That's my opinion <laughs> about that particular. Um, but all the ghost stuff, I think is great. I love that stuff. <laughs> well, the, um, the, the thing that, because uh, I watch these things in a in a very 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 literal way, the thing that the, the thing that was playing on my mind throughout the the whole plot um, was uh, the the guilt or innocence of Shoeless Joe Jackson. That was what I like. That was all I could think about was did really? did he actually do it? And um, you know, I literally the first thing I did after the movie was over was was Google the whole story and read up on some of the accounts of the trial at the time and and all that other kind of stuff. And I think for most of the most of the way through the movie, I felt like he was probably a criminal, and this was a, a movie in in homage <laughs> to someone that that tried to to ruin the game. But I think by the end and and after doing some reading, I think that probably he was hard done by, and therefore I didn't hate the movie because of that. What did you just say? He was hard done by? Is that not a phrase I, in America? <laughs> I've never heard that phrase. He, he got he got the shitty end of the shitty stick. Okay. I understand that one. Hard, hard done by? Um, there's okay. also an entire film about the Black Sox scandal called Eight Men Out, which we can add to our list as one yeah. to watch eventually with um, John Cusack. Um, so, Matthew, I'm interested, though, in, like, in terms of... I think the film has a lot to say um, about redemption and about this idea that that no matter kind of how things went in your life, that there is this field of dreams, perhaps, where uh, where you can get a second chance. Um, so I'm curious as to how the matter of whether Shoeless Joe was guilty or innocent affected the way you saw that character and whether and like how how that fit into the narrative for you. Uh, again, I'm I'm pretty literal about these things. So how I saw the character was was fairly heavily guided by uh, him being played by Ray uh, Liotta, um, and just hearing Goodfellas in my in my head the, the whole time. <clears throat> but no, I mean it it did it did genuinely affect how I felt about uh, it when he arrived. You know that first scene where he's been hearing these voices, he's built the baseball field and then nothing. And and weeks and months go by with the sort of slightly heavy-handed appearance of snow to demonstrate the the transition of time. Um and, and then he appears. And that whole way through that 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 scene where um you know Kevin Costner's character is is kind of stunned and they they play catch and and then and then they shag some balls. Um uh, the whole way through that, all I was thinking was, "This is this is uh, venerating someone who uh, took illegal bribes." That was that whole scene was that whole scene. But to your point, as the movie went on and as uh, the they talked about it more and and you know the uh, the the 
uh, J- uh, Thomas Mann character and uh, Kinsella talked about this on their on that one of their road trips. I was kind of turned around on it, and so I guess that plot worked on me. <laughs> yeah, and I think the movie was arguing throughout that Shoeless Joe was not guilty. You know, there's a scene where Ray's talking to his daughter and he's saying, well, then why did he hit 375 during the series and not make a single error? And then uh, I think sort of even more convincingly when Shoeless Joe comes onto the field and he has that great monologue about how much he loved baseball and how he would have played for food money. Um, And, you know, it was the crowd and the way they rise to their feet when you hit the ball deep. Oh, my God. I mean, there are a few different monologues throughout this movie that I think are just so lyrical and poetic and a kind of writing you just really don't see a lot in studio movies. Uh, I thought it was just I was really bowled over by that scene. And also, I thought Ray Liotta's performance was just terrific in this movie. I just loved the way he played that character. And also, I don't know what the cinematographer was doing, or maybe Ray Liotta just has like a different kind of eyeballs than the rest of us. But the way his (laughs) eyes were catching light in this movie, I thought was just like very special. How about one thing about Ray Liotta's performance, and I don't think this is his fault, but um, when you look at criticism of the movie, the first thing that comes up is the pretty glaring error that Shoeless Joe Jackson was a lefty. And he was a, uh, oh. a Carolinian. I think my South Carolinian, I think. And so he had a, a nice Southern drawl. And he wasn't a, uh, a New Yorker uh, who batted right-handed. Uh, so I, I, can, I, I see where the baseball writers have gripes over that one. Um, but he, he was such a – you're right, the eyes – so so the baseball writers and the Iowa corn farmers were were <laughs> going to add as our, our chief critic <laughs> of this film. Yeah. One thing I didn't I didn't realize until um watching some YouTube clips after uh, watching the, the 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 main attraction earlier is that this this movie came out right after Bull Durham. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really interesting that Kevin Costner decided to do another another baseball movie. But one thing that really struck me the whole way through this was how baseball was so tangential to the to the 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 the, the core of the story, which was about his relationship with his with his father, and obviously his daughter was looming over the the, the whole thing. And I, I, I've you know I lost my father a few years ago, and so anything to do with fatherhood in movies or anything uh hits me pretty hard and uh i I knew that i knew that there was going to be a moment at the end of the film you could just sort of feel it brewing but even knowing that it was coming when he asks his dad to play catch it was a real uh (laughs) a real (laughs) punch uh in the guts um and so it just it, it feels to me this is of all of the movies we've watched so far it's the baseball movie that is least baseball-y if you see what i mean definitely so for, for Matthew, it was playing catch with dad was the moment you were most emotionally affected. I'm interested in what, what everyone's moments were. I think, yeah. I mean, I think that's the moment that everybody, when when people talk about this movie, the that that moment and the just shortly before that when he introduces his granddaughter, or the John Kinsella's when he said, this is my, this is John. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then, you know, moments later calls him dad. Uh, and there, it seems like the, the, the ghost of John Kinsella knows, knows what's going on, um, is aware of what's going on. Uh, that, the whole, that whole sequence is pretty emotional. And, you know, uh, it, it, like Matthew said, it built, it's building up. The whole movie's building up to that moment. And the fact that, that you know, 
if you build it, he will come wasn't wasn't Shoeless Joe. It was uh, John Kinsella the whole time. Right. That was the that's the. Yeah, that's the takeaway. Um, but they, th- at the end of the day, they all did come. They all they all did arrive. At that, they did. That, yeah. Um, um, and uh, I would have to say I, I love that moment. And certainly I cried profusely at many moments in this film, but the, the moment that really knocked me over. And I think because I just didn't remember it at all and I didn't see it coming was um, Moonlight Graham walking off the field and mm. becoming <laughs> an older doctor herself to save Karen, the daughter's life. I mean, I just lost it. <laughs> I <was> just, <laughs> and I was, and I was thinking, I was like, what is it? And it's a beautifully planted moment. It pays off. It's really a great, smart piece of writing that it's, you know, it's a total surprise. And at the same time, the only thing that could possibly happen in this moment. And it it came back to this idea that, you know, Burt Lancaster, as older Moonlight Graham has in his monologue, that, you know, the the tragedy of his life wasn't that he ever only got to play one inning of baseball in the major leagues. The tragedy would have been if he had never become a doctor and really changed the lives of the people around him and in his community. And I think this movie, um, particularly in a scene I'd love to talk more about, the scene where um, Terrence Mann is invited to sort of go see what's beyond out in the corn. Then Ray is not invited and Ray's like, well, what about me? Um, (laughs) This movie is making, I think, a pretty compelling argument that the most important thing we can do is take care of our families and the people in our lives and the people around us. And that to me was like there, I was very moved by that. that. That part really got me. The whole Moonlight Graham I, story honestly, was just... amazing. I think that whole, that whole narrative and his whole character may, may have been the most compelling actual storyline in the whole, the whole movie. I mean, we don't really know much about Ray and John's relationship. We, all we know is, is that they, they had a fraught, seems like they're fraught relationship and there was, you know, some, um, uh, rebellion that he ended up rejecting baseball briefly and calling, uh, Shoeless Joe a criminal. Uh, that, that's basically all you know of their fight. Uh, and then he just didn't go, didn't see him again, didn't talk to him again until before he died. And that's, I, that's basically I was kind of like, these guys should come to my house for Thanksgiving. Cause like, <laughs> it's, it's, it seems like they're not getting into it as much as you can get into it. <laughs> like, you know what the, the, the poor, he lost, you know, uh, John Kinsella lost his wife when his son was three. Right. Is that what he said? Three years old or something? That that only only mentioned in the, the the introduction of the movie and never mentioned again. But poor mom in this. Anyway, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm derailing this conversation. <laughs> uh, Matthew, I've interrupted you. I was just going to uh, say about the moment where um, uh, James Earl Jones goes off into the the cornfield. I I had a horrible feeling for about thirty seconds in the in the lead up to him going off that <clears throat> the plot twist was going to be he he had also been one of the ghosts all along. Oh. Uh, so I'm very, very glad that that didn't happen. Oh, I'm man, just glad they didn't I make it. They haven't made a sequel that's that him coming back and reporting what's on the other side of the the corn. <laughs> Field of Dreams two. Here's the full description for you, Ray. Uh, on the on the other side, the Yankees have always sucked. <laughs> <laughs> the Dodgers won every series in the fifties. <laughs> um. Yeah, so I did. I wanted to talk more about that scene and about that, actually, that specific thing, Um, because I I was looking for a couple of lines from the screenplay. And so I I pulled up, you know, some website had the like a PDF of the original screenplay online. And um, when I got to this scene, I found that uh, Terrence Mann's monologue right before he walks out into the corn was actually very different. 
um, than it was in the movie in a really fascinating way. So um, this is the this is the what's in it for me scene where uh, Ray is upset that Terrence is being asked to go out to heaven with with the ghost baseball players and Ray is not invited. And uh, in the movie, Terrence Mann, James Earl Jones character says, well, I'm going to write about it, right? I'm going to write something about this story, and that's what I do. I'm a writer. And Ray says, oh, and it's sort of justified in that way. In the original screenplay, Terrence says, think of it, Ray. Maybe there's an Ebbets Field still floating around out there somewhere, and maybe I'll get to sit in the stands and watch a 20-year-old kid with a smooth face and kinky hair try out for the 1948 Dodgers. What the? That's such a better line! (laughs) It's fascinating, and it's so interesting. I'm like, I saw this, and I was like, oh, I'm very interested in this because I think this, <laughs> is whole, <laughs> this is a whole movie about nostalgia, right? Yeah. And here in 2018, like nostalgia in the you know the age of Make America Great Again, right. like nostalgia is very coded with white supremacy <laughs> and racism, right? Like as an entire concept. And this movie, I think, is sort of struggling is like really trying to create like a very inclusive nostalgia where like everyone is like very explicitly included which is like still like you know Shoeless Joe's still talking about the hotels with the brass platoons in the lobby and the brass beds in the rooms where black people would not have been allowed Mm -hmm. to sleep right so like how successful is it in creating this inclusive nostalgia I don't really know but in uh this line in the screenplay it's addressing a specific black nostalgia, which I thought was like fascinating. Um, and also like clearly written by a white person, right? Because black <laughs> nostalgia is so much more complicated than that, right? And like, you know, Tanahasi just wrote an incredible piece about it in The Atlantic Today, if anyone feels like reading that. Um, but what I loved about this line was the idea that black nostalgia doesn't exist in Iowa. It doesn't exist on this field that's populated mm. entirely by white players that he has to go into some other realm to find it. I thought that that was just like a fascinating concept that I wanted to know so much more about. And that instead what we get in the movie, which is directed by the same guy who wrote the screenplay, right? So it's not like a director came in and erased this idea. The same guy had the idea and said, okay, this is going to be better in the movie through whatever rewriting process we'll never know. Um, and instead the reason that they come up with instead of like that Terrence Mann needs to go on a quest to seek his own nostalgia. It's that he is going to create this commodity in his writing that Ray can consume. Right. And it's this idea of, of, of making a product out of his experience that a white person can, can consume. And I was like, wow, like what could possibly be more greed as good than that? Um, that like, okay, you can go and experience this thing that I can't experience because you'll productize it for me. Um, so I just thought that that was like one of the more interesting things in the entire film. And I was like, wow, I would love to see more black artists explore this idea of black nostalgia so that I could consume it. Wait, am I right? (laughs) Am I the person get out? Like what? (laughs) Like, like this doesn't, I don't come off looking good in this light, but I thought it was just a fascinating question overall. That that actually was the piece of um, so Craig Calcaterra, the NBC sports writer who hates this movie, um, uh, has a pretty has a bunch of beefs about it. One of the most compelling to me is what you just something similar to what you just referenced: this idea that you know Terrence Mann, who's this progressive um, firebrand of the '60s, um, who you know 
earlier in the film, I think, does cite Jackie Robinson as his hero, right? Um, I think that's that happened. Think, well, at least Craig Carcaterra says it happens. Um, but he's this black progressive writer who, you know, gives this... When, when he's trying to convince Ray not to sell the farm, he gives this monologue about baseball, these, this baseball, the game being played behind him is like the healing waters. Um, but that's the, that, the, the game being played behind him is the pre-integration baseball um, where, you know, there are no uh, black players or anybody, everybody, uh, nobody on that field ever played with a black player, right? Like um, not in professional setting. So yeah, it was, it's bizarre how, um, how that character kind of takes a weird, the weird turn of of thought, um, and that actually is fascinating. That that the monologue was different in uh, in the screenplay. Wow, this is why you you know you get paid the big bucks to be on the show. And I, <laughs> I'm glad to. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen A Quiet Place, which maybe as as the parents of small children, maybe I wouldn't recommend it to you at this particular moment oh, in your life. <laughs> um, but there's a, a lot of criticism um, from critics of color of A Quiet Place that sort of intentionally or unintentionally, it paints this world of the rural white family farm as being a place where white people, if they say a single word, will be attacked by these mysterious brown monsters for having the gall to speak. And that's sort of saying, we don't think John Krasinski set out to make a movie about, you know, this sort of white protectionism idea that's very much associated with the idea of the farm and the cornfields in American history, but he kind of did make that movie. And as I was watching this, I was like, huh, so here's another movie, maybe even arguably along with like The Wizard of Oz, like one of our great cultural touchstones of the Midwestern family farm cornfields kind of an American movie. And it's and it's struggling so hard against that idea, right? About this being a place that's exclusive to white people and trying so hard through James Earl Jones and through um, Ray's wife, who's such herself is a progressive firebrand. And there's that right. great scene in the town meeting where, yeah. she, <laughs> where she's yelling about the constitution and she's great and she's all kinds of goals. Um, or how about when, right afterwards where she's like celebrating in the hallway and he basically tells her, like, uh, Kevin Costner basically tells her to shut up. I'm, I'm going to Boston. To, <laughs> I figured to... out my thing. <laughs> <laughs> Annie. <laughs> Poor Annie. She was great. Oh, she's so good. Yeah, I just thought the whole film was like this really interesting exercise in sort of like white people grappling with like white people, right? <laughs> like, it's just like, I'm um, a white guy who loves baseball and has some stuff with my dad, but I'm also progressive. <laughs> How does it all work? Right? Like, that kind of feels like the central struggle of the movie. Yeah. This whole, the whole notion of like this being, um, uh, Ray's penance as well is what is what um, Craig Calcaterra like kind of latches onto. Um, you know, he says like the message. The message is pretty clear. He's, the quote here is: "Kids have an obligation to please their parents, but parents have no obligation to allow their kids to find their own path in life." The fixations of a young man in 1919 are super important and must be honored, even if it literally requires moving heaven and earth. <laughs> the yeah, fixations I, of a I, young man or an older writer in 1969 were silly and can be can and should be repudiated, apologized for, and in some cases repented for. Anyway, no, I'm with the uh, I'm with the you should do everything uh, required to please your parents. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Score okay, four. British, have you? <laughs> Do you know, you, you, I, I didn't, I, I, maybe this is a well-known thing, but I didn't realize until today that you the, the field is still there and you can go and visit and they have like a Father's Day event each year where you can go and play catch on on the field oh uh, with with your dad. Yeah, that's the whole thing. I think the house was recently for sale too. I might be making that up. I feel like I saw a thing on the internet that's like, you can buy that house. And I was like, <laughs> I could. <laughs> if I had money and wanted to live in Iowa, I sure could. <laughs> where is it in Iowa? That's an important thing. Like not all, uh, not Iowa isn't equal. <laughs> You know, where in Iowa you are. It's the hot, we're breaking news here on the podcast. <laughs> well, you know, if it's like, if it's really close to Davenport, then, you know, maybe, but I don't know if it's the other side of the state. I don't know. I don't know. I don't are you Googling it? I'm so Googling it right now. Yeah. <laughs> Field Dreams movie site dot com. Um, Dyersville. Where the hell is that? And now we're going to have to do a subsequent Google. Okay. Dyersville. Illinois or Iowa. Dyersville, <laughs> <laughs> Iowa. Hmm. You can trim this down and post edit. Oh yeah, totally. We'll we'll totally cut this way down, way down. I'm not definitely not gonna just include <laughs> all of this. No, this is been boring. It seems like it's um like about in it's like northeast of Cedar Rapids. Oh. Well. Like near the Wisconsin border. Yeah. Okay. So it's not f- it's only a, maybe okay. a. It's not far from Davenport. Uh, how let's see, let's see here. How far from Chicago? <laughs> uh, that that will be about four and a half hours. Uh, walking, it's sixty-six hours. Is that what you meant? <laughs> um, three hours and fifty-six minutes. Four hours. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Go, you should go. <laughs> Ring um, Ruby. Have a catch. Indoctrinate her with penance for your sins. So wait, um, before we wrap this up, uh, anything else people want to get in there before we give our how many how many balls we assign this? Um, I don't think we need to talk about the weird three act structure of this movie. I don't think our listeners <laughs> care about that. Oh, so oh, I I thought it was worth looking at the you know at James Earl Jones's big monologue at the end of the movie where he says, where he's talking about the people who come and will pay money to to watch the game. And he says, and they'll pass over the money without even thinking about, thinking about it, for it is money they have and peace they lack. <laughs> and I thought that that was the most sort of pointed criticism of 1980s capitalist culture um, that, you know, we're paying, we're paying a little money to get a little peace. And of course, that is exactly what we, the audience, are doing in order to see this movie, right? You you pay your money for your movie ticket, and then you and then you get your your fix of nostalgia. And it was an interesting. They're not really being critical of it, right? They're sort of celebrating it. They're right. celebrating the idea that American culture, in the form of a baseball game or a movie or, or whatever it is that you're paying money to see, is the way that you reconnect with your culture and your memories and your family. And I thought that that was uh, an interesting and perhaps self-aggrandizing argument for <laughs> the movie to make. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of writing out there about how America, because of sort of the weird way we were formed as a country, that movies are our mythology. 
in a way that isn't true for other cultures that have a lot much deeper roots in the place that they're located. Um, and uh, yeah, Matthew, do you want to do you want to <laughs> weigh in on that? <laughs> I just want to be smug about having a, a culture that's more deeply rooted than America's. Well, what do you do? What do you think that, that British mytho? What's the British mythology? Um, well, British mythology is tea. is it tea? <laughs> Well, we could have a we could have more than an entire episode on on British mythology and and the way in which we're caught up in uh, empire and um, uh, how uh, all British people look upon history as being really a history purely of the uh, of the elites of of the country. We uh, we have a really interesting thing where we celebrate the abolition of slavery uh, each year. Will, William Wilberforce. Um, uh, uh, passed got passed through Parliament the abolition of the slave trade and there's a big um, you know it's taught in schools and uh, there's public events and we almost never talk about the fact that we set up the slave trade in the first place and <laughs> we're slaving we're trading slaves and made a huge, huge ton of money off it and didn't give that money back and and so on and so forth we just have this this yeah. thing about like how great was it that we abolished the slave trade um, but that's literally nothing to do with baseball. <laughs> Not even anything to do with cricket, so I've got no excuse for bringing it up. I just, I just thought it was interesting. It came up in the conversation recently. You're Annie in this in this exchange. Yeah, but what's it got to do with baseball? <laughs> so Such wait, a great line. Matthew, how many balls would you give Field of Dreams? Um, are we allowed to? Are we allowed to give? Um, uh, I can't remember if we're allowed to go with halves. Did we we agreed yeah, on halves, but not quarters. I think I think it's a loose system. Yeah. So I, I I give Field of Dreams four and a half balls. Four and a half balls. All right, that'd be the highest, right? You've given any of the. That's the highest by some distance. I really really enjoyed this film. All right. Um. Okay. I'm gonna go. I'll go next. I'll let you go last because you're you're definitely the resident expert here. I think I'm gonna give it four balls. Um. And I I was weighing giving it three and a half based on the recency that I read the the criticism, but um, it is, I believe it is Gabby Hoffman's debut. Uh, and she is just so uh, adorable in this so film good. that I, I had to give it four. So uh, yeah. Uh, the hashtag dad stuff bump from, from Toby. <laughs> I've yeah, literally recorded ball. this entire segment with my uh, <laughs> four week old daughter in my arms. So <laughs> she's been so good. She hasn't cried at all. This is great. Right. Do Not that crying is an indication oh. of being bad, just to be clear. You can do whatever you'd like. <laughs> Kate, how many balls? Um, yeah, I think I, I agree with the four ball assessment. Um, I, I mean, I think the fact that, like, it is hard to do sort of like a drama or a dramedy with supernatural elements that just work. Like, that's hard mm -hmm. to write. I think, and I think they do a pretty beautiful job in this movie. And it just, it moves me. It moves me so much. So I think that there's stuff about it that's imperfect and there's stuff about it that I criticize, but um, I love this movie. I, I just, it makes me weep. And, you know, how mad can I ever be at something that makes me weep? Yeah, or something that myth mytho mytholog mythologizes. Mythology there we go. Mythologizes baseball. Like making baseball yeah, right? a, I, um, this, uh, the thing that ghosts and uh, mythology all kind of come together in is, you know, I, I, I relate to that. And I think, you know, the this movie understands a thing that this podcast also understands, which is that baseball 
uh, sort of the nature of the game, it being so long and, and often quite boring, I think we can all admit that, is that it's a sport that in order to love it, you have to love the people you're watching it with. Um, and that for a lot of us, it goes back to our relationships with our fathers. And I think it's why it's so easy to connect with this movie for all of us who love this sport. I really thought you were going to bring it home by saying we love baseball because this, this podcast is also long and boring. <laughs> 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 and you gotta love the people you're listening to. Uh, to... <laughs> also um, accurate. Also... And the podcast is just one of those things. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kate, thanks, uh, thanks so much for this uh, for being joining us for this latest segment of Battery Mates at the Movies. Um, we we have a lot to do this this season. I feel like we got many more films to to take in. Um, so we can't can't wait to get another one. Great, thanks guys. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. I love a fantastic uh, segment um, with with Kate again. I need to start talking to her before I watch these movies because <laughs> they she gives uh, such a, a good uh, rundown. Uh, we are going to have another uh, episode uh, segment of Bachelor Mates at the Movies in a couple of weeks. We're going to be reviewing Sugar, uh, a movie from around 10 years ago about uh, a minor league player uh, from the Dominican. Um, but I think that's it for this week's episode. I've yeah. got uh, a week of nationals on the West Coast, so I'll be getting up early to watch the last couple of innings of the uh, the games from the night before. Toby, what have you got on deck? Uh, I'm going back to to work in the office this week, uh, later this week, and I. Uh, but I will also be getting up throughout the night, uh, not to watch baseball as much, <laughs> but to uh, feed and change my daughter. Um, yeah, and and I think we'll be back with the next episode as soon as Trevor Bauer does something else crazy and makes us get <laughs> have to fire up those microphones again. Um, so, yeah, this was a good one. This was fun. Thanks again to Kate uh, for for joining us, and we'll be back again shortly. Until then. Shag those balls. Shag those balls. (laughs) 